Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody today. Last week, we started a sermon series, and we called it What to Expect When You're Christianing. And this sermon series is going to be on the book of James. And most of us, if we're Christians, we have been told or we understand that the Bible is kind of our handbook. It's the way that we learn how to live a life that God wants us to live or live a righteous, godly life. And the Bible is God's word, and we believe that. It's a handbook for godly living because the words were supernaturally inspired by God and sent down to humans who wrote them down. They were written down by obedient men. They were inspired to write these words. And in the Brethren in Christ core values that we've talked about, we say that the Bible is God's authoritative word upon whose truth we build our lives. And when we say something is authoritative, we mean that it is able to be trusted, it is accurate, it is true, it is reliable. It is a reliable way for us to know how to live the Christian life. And some new Christians maybe haven't read the Bible before. Uh, they, they sometimes I get asked, where should I start when I'm reading the Bible? And of course, I usually recommend the first couple of chapters of Genesis because the very first thing that we need to understand is that in the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning. He has always been there. He always will be there. And in the beginning, God created everything. And he created everything to sustain us. He created everything for human beings. And I also tell them, that it's good to read the first few chapters of Genesis to understand how evil kind of came into the world. And then I suggest reading the, the Gospels and see the teachings of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say to us? How is he expecting us to live? And if we're his disciples, we look at what Jesus said and we look at what Jesus did and we do to the best of our ability try to imitate that. Because that's what a disciple does. And then, for more experienced Christians, for a lot of you who are here who've been Christians for a long time, I recommend the book of James. Because the book of James is kind of this six-chapter encapsulation written by the half-brother of Jesus that gives us a lot of information and a lot of instruction on how to live a Christian life. Because it was written to Christians. And it was written to Christians who had been scattered throughout the known world after this severe persecution in Jerusalem. And these Christians faced a lot of challenges. They were in a new place. They were surrounded by new people and new cultures where they ended up. And last week we saw that James wasted no time in his letter letting his fellow Christians know that they would experience trials like the persecutions that they were facing, like the ones they had faced in Jerusalem, like the things they were facing in these new places, these strange places that they lived. And he said that we need the wisdom that only God can give us to stand up under those trials. And ultimately, James says, if we stand up under those trials, we will receive the crown of life, this promise of eternal life to those who are obedient to God's word. And in the next section of James chapter 1, we read about not the trials 
that we will face because most of the trials that we face come from external sources. We are pressured into saying or doing things. We are in a culture where certain things are expected of us and we kind of, if we are Christians and those are things that God doesn't want us to do, we, we kind of press back. We fight against those outward kinds of pressures. Those are trials. But in this next section, James starts to talk about temptation and giving in to the world culture, giving in to sin. And we start in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And I think this is a misunderstanding that some Christians have. God will allow you to undergo trials because that is the way of the world. The world is naturally going to push back against Christ. The world is naturally going to try to convince you to do things that you know God doesn't want you to do. But temptations are completely different. Temptations do not come from God. James says, uh, oops, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So let me read that one verse again. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation is not something that is external. Now, there might be external forces that tempt us, but I got, I got to be honest with you. I am not tempted by a lot of the things that the world wants me to do. I'm not tempted to... Uh, go to strip clubs. I'm not tempted to go and get drunk in, in bars. I'm not tempted by those things. It's the things that the world offers that I already desire in my human sinful nature. Those are the things that I am tempted by. And we are tempted by so many things. Temptation has been around since the beginning of the world, beginning of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, Satan, tempts Eve to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God has said doing so would lead to death. Now, a lot of non-believers, and, and I've had this debate, this argument before, a lot of non-believers say that it was God's fault that Eve was tempted to eat the fruit. See, they, they said he set Adam and Eve up to fail. If God is so good, why did he put that tree in the middle of the garden in the first place? And I wonder how many of us have thought the same thing. If God didn't want them to eat the fruit, why did he put the fruit there in the first place? He put that fruit there because good and evil exist. God is going to not hide things from us. What he is going to do is going to instruct us so that we don't 
do the wrong thing. And when God told them not to eat of the tree of the garden of the fruit of good and evil, I don't think that God didn't want them to know what good and evil was. I think God wanted them to know when they were ready. He wanted them to know after they had lived a life with him, after he had been able to instruct them, to be able to strengthen them to stand up under the temptation of evil when good is present. That's what I think is, is going on here. Yes, it exists. No, you're not ready for it. We don't give a steak to a six-month-old baby because they're not ready for it. And God doesn't give us these things until we are ready. And that is what we're kind of looking at here. But we think about this question, well, why did God put that tree there? God set Adam and Eve up to fail. No, he didn't. The tree was there, and God set Adam and Eve up to succeed. God gave Adam and Eve every opportunity to make sure that they didn't eat from that fruit until God was ready for them to eat it, until they were ready to eat it. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice they were never tempted to go for the tree of life. It was there. But they weren't tempted by Satan to go after that one. Satan didn't want them to live. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, we skip up a couple of verses. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. God had created every fruit-bearing, food-bearing tree and put them in the garden. This was the perfect place. Did you know that there are over 3,500 varieties of food-bearing trees that we know of? Adam and Eve had apples, apricots, avocados, cherries, coconuts, dates, figs, grapefruits, kumquats, lemons, limes, mangoes, olives, oranges, peaches, pears, pomegranates, plums, tangerines. They had all of those things. And Fruit is not the only thing that grows on trees. They had almonds, cashews, chestnuts, hazelnuts, macadamias, pecans, pine nuts, pistachios, walnuts. They had all of this stuff, an unending supply of food. You can eat all of it. Except this one. How many of you go camping? Anybody go camping or hiking or anything like that? Anybody uh, see like bushes growing along the trails where there's like fruit and stuff and the fruit looks really good, but if you eat it, you'll die? <laughs> and we got to know which fruit is good and which fruit is bad, right? So we read the books and we go to Boy Scouts and we go to Girl Scouts and we say, okay, this fruit is good, this fruit is good, this fruit, oh, don't eat this one. Don't eat this one. You will puke up your lungs. Don't eat that one. God's saying the same thing. Don't eat that one tree. It is not good for you. And that's it. You get everything else. When we trust in God's provision, Adam and Eve were completely provided for. When we trust in God's provision, it is possible 
to be tempted and to not sin. And we read on in Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God is right there in the garden with Adam, and he warns him against this one tree. He clearly laid out the expectation, eat anything you want except that one tree. He laid out clear expectations and he laid out clear consequences. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Child psychologists recommend this as kind of an if-then instruction. And some of you know, have, have heard about that. When you're talking to your children, if you don't put your shoes on, then we won't go to the park. If you don't pick up your toys, then we won't watch the movie you want to watch. If you touch that hot stove, then you will get hurt. How many of us have said at least one of these things to our children? Or something very similar. And God is doing the same thing with his child. If you eat from that tree, then you will die. I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me if I do something, then I will die, I'm probably not going to do it. Probably. If you go skydiving, you'll die. But I've always wanted to go skydiving. Fortunately... I am too big to go skydiving, so I don't get to go skydiving, so I get to live another day. <laughs> but God has given his instruction. And when we trust in God's instruction, when we trust in his word, it is possible to be tempted and not sin. Now, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before the serpent came along. It could have been days, it could have been months, it could have been decades, we don't know. But eventually, we know that the serpent showed up and we do know that they were long, there long enough that they had embellished God's rules. They had added to what God had said. And we read in Genesis 1, uh, 3, verses 1 to 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now we got to go back to chapter 2 here. And we got to see that God did not say, don't even touch it, lest you die. He just said, don't eat it. Touch it all you want. But man had added to God's rules. Why? Because God, man didn't trust in himself to follow the rules. And Satan knew that man had done this, that Eve had done this. Satan knew exactly what God had said. And he took Eve's newfound feelings about the situation 
her new understanding of God's word, and he capitalized on it. He used it. He knew Adam and Eve don't trust themselves enough to just follow what God said. Maybe, maybe I can convince them to question their trust, not in themselves, but in God. Maybe I can get them to question God's wisdom. Maybe I can get them to question God's word. Did you act, did God actually say, you shall not eat? of any tree in the garden. Sometimes in my head, Satan sounds like, like the town gossip. Girl, Mrs. Eagle told me that Mr. Squirrel told her that God told you that you can't eat of any tree in the whole garden. Does he want you to starve to death? What's going on? You look like a, like a little twig anyway. Why aren't you eating? And he was like, no, girls, he didn't say that. He said we can eat every tree in the garden. He just said we can't eat that one. Oh, and he said we better not touch it because we'll die like this whole little gossip session going on. You guys have heard these gossip sessions before when people don't get the whole story or people try to twist the truth. That's all I deal with sometimes every day in school is somebody coming up saying, somebody told me that somebody told them that I was doing this and then they were doing that and, there was and, then, and I'm really mad at them. And I'm like, what did they say? Did you go to the source? Well, no, I don't want to talk to them because I'm mad at them because they said that they said that they said that she said that I was... But this is how Satan worked on Eve. It was just like this whole, let's twist the word. And that's when the serpent, Satan, knew that he had her. He knew that he was going to be able to tempt her. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Girl, God lied to you. Uh-uh, you're not going to die. In fact, God lied to you because he's hiding the best part of being alive. He's hiding the one thing that's going to make you like him. Trust me. You can't trust him. Trust me. You can't trust him. In James 1.14, we read, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Eve was lured by Satan. And she was enticed by her own desire, and it was not a bad desire. How many of us would like to be like God? How many of us would like to have all wisdom and all knowledge and be able to understand everything that's going on in the universe so that we could live the life that God wants us to live? But the desire was twisted. All Satan wanted was for her to know the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't share all of God with Eve. He just shared the one thing that he knew was the most desirous in her. Knowledge. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know good 
and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, it was desired to make one wise. Eve wanted that. And Satan had also convinced her that God was purposely withholding it. God's the bad guy. He doesn't want you to have this. That's why he told you not to eat that tree. We go back to James. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Back to Genesis, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look at the progression that James is showing here, and look at this progression with Eve. Eve is lured and tempted by desire. And the first thing she did was she looked at the tree. But not just in passing, like, oh, hey, there's that tree I'm not supposed to eat from. She looked at the tree. Her eyes became lustful for its fruit. Had Eve looked at that tree and said no? Even if she looked lustfully at its root, even if she looked at it and said, oh, such a tree. I so much want that tree. No, I'm not going to eat that tree. God said not to eat it. Nothing would have happened. Eve would have remained without sin. Now, we know she was far enough away from the tree not to touch it because, of course, if she touched it, she would die is what she believed. And had Eve walked up to that tree, getting close enough to touch it, and then she turned around and walked away, nothing would have happened. Eve would have remained without sin. And we know that she reached out and she took its fruit. She reached out and she took it. She had it in her hand. If Eve had grabbed that fruit and looked at it, smelled it, and dropped it to the ground and said no and walked away, nothing would have happened. Eve would have remained without sin. This is what temptation is. Temptation is desiring something. You see it, you want it, you walk up to it, you reach out for it maybe. But this is where a lot of people get really messed up. Temptation is not sin. Let me say that again. Temptation is not sin. And I know a lot of Christians that feel really guilty when they're tempted. Whatever the temptation is, oh, I really want to do this thing. Oh, I really want to have this thing. And they feel so guilty for being tempted. 
And they pray, God, please stop. Don't let me be tempted to do these things. And that's a great prayer. But it misses the point. The point is, if you are tempted to do something that you know is against God, and you pray, and you ask God to remove that temptation, and then you walk away from it, you have succeeded. You are without sin in that instant. But we get so wrapped up in the guilt of being tempted. And we get tempted over and over and over again because Satan knows that's what we need. We need to be tempted over and over and over again. And we say, I should be stronger. I shouldn't be tempted to do this. Yes, you should. That is Satan's entire purpose for existence. He's tempting you to walk away from God. That's the whole reason he's here. And when you are tempted over and over, I've got five temptations lined up on this same thing, and I haven't done it yet, but I feel so guilty about it. You have won. You have overcome Satan five times. Don't look at your temptation and your resistance of it as a bad thing. It is a great thing to resist temptation. God knows we're going to be tempted, just like he knows we're going to face trials. And God has given us a way to resist and to defeat temptation. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to reconnect our souls to God after Adam and Eve's souls died in the Garden of Eden. After they were severed from relationship with God, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to reconnect us. He sent his only son to assure us that God, yes, can be trusted. His word can be trusted. His love for us can be trusted. We don't have to trust the word of the world. We don't have to trust the word, the word of Satan because Satan's a liar. God gives us a way. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Jesus Christ is the good and perfect gift. And when we believe in him, when we confess that he is our Lord and our Savior, God brings our souls forth. He gives us new birth. That's what being born again means. Our dead souls are now alive. They are alive that the world might see his glory, the glory that comes from the grace and mercy that he has that all we need to do after we have broken off our relationship with him is to go back. To say, I know that I have messed up. 
I want a relationship with you again. I want my soul to be alive. I want to live forever with you. He gave us Jesus Christ to be able to do that. But that's not everything. That's not all of it. When we make Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit dwells in us. And he will help to instruct us. He will help to remind us of God's word. And he will help us to stand up and resist temptation when it comes. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And boy, is that good news. Anything that you are tempted to do that is against God, somebody else has been tempted first. Somebody else has been tempted before. You are not alone. You are not unique. This is not something that Satan has dreamed up just for you. He's been doing this a long time to a lot of people. People that think like you, people that believe like you, people that like the things that you like, that desire the things you desire, he's been doing it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Let me just point out, this does not mean God will not give you more than you are able to bear. This is not that. And we use this verse a lot of times to say, well, God won't give us more than we can bear. And then when he gives us more than we can bear, we say God's wrong. That's not this verse. This verse is God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And if we wanted to add to that sentence, beyond your ability to resist the temptation. That is what this verse means. And he goes on. He will with the temptation. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Any temptation that you face. Any temptation that you face. God gives you a way out. God gives you the way out. And the escape is the power of the Holy Spirit. All we got to do is rely on it. All we got to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our temptation. When we face temptation, we can pray. And we should pray. We should ask the Holy Spirit, show us the way out of temptation. I don't know it because I'm in it. This is my desire. Show me why my desire is not what God wants for me. That's what we can do. Now, sometimes what the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to say, run away as fast as you can. Run away. Sometimes the way that we run away is we literally run away. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he said, flee sexual immorality. And when he said that, what he meant is, I want to see a U-sized hole in that wall. That's how fast you should run away. Get out. We might call this reaction to temptation self 
control. We're controlling ourselves. The Holy Spirit says that's bad. I am out of here. And we're called to practice self-control as Christians. But a lot of times our temptations are a lot more subtle. If something is sitting right in front of me and I know that it's bad for me, I can just get out. I can run away. But it's those other temptations, the temptations that go into our minds, the temptations that try to lead our thoughts towards something. Those are the ones that get really tricky. And sometimes, oftentimes, the way out is by walking wisely in the first place. We as Christians are called to be wise. And if we can be wise before the temptation even takes us, it's going to be a lot easier for us to resist that temptation. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And when we think about those things before temptation happens, it's much more likely that we'll continue to think about those things when temptation comes. Stop thinking about the temptation and think on these things, the things of God. You tempted to lie about your dog eating your homework? Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you that you're supposed to think of things that are true. Tempted to steal your co-worker's lunch from the refrigerator? Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to be honorable. Tempted to cheat on your taxes? Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to act justly. Tempted to cheat on your spouse? Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to act in purity. And the earlier we learn to think the things of God, the easier it's going to be to remember them and remember that whatever temptation we are experiencing is not that. Any temptation that we are experiencing is not good. It is not pure. It is not honorable. The earlier we can turn to the Holy Spirit for help, the better it will be for us in avoiding sin. When Eve was thinking about the fruit, would have been a whole lot easier of a time to avoid sin than when she was holding it in her hand. Because when we get to the point where we're actually holding our desire right in front of us, it's really hard to let go. It is really hard to let go. And that is when sin is birthed. Because we have made it too hard to let go. When we are thinking about 
doing something that would be against God, that would cause us to sin. It's much easier to pray at that time than it is when we are standing on sin's doorstep and knocking. We have the power to walk away from every temptation that we will ever face, ever, ever. We have that power dwelling in us if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we have truly repented and said, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, the power of the Holy Spirit is right there. It will help you to, as, to resist those temptations, to keep you from sinning. But I've got bad news. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we grab the fruit and we look at it and we smell it and the temptation is just too great for us to resist and we eat it. And God has given us good news when that happens as well. God knows because we are still in human form that we are going to be weak and he knows that we might give in to temptation. And that's why in Romans 8.34, we're told that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding for us. Telling God, I know how hard it is for them to face this temptation. And I know we want them to pray and I know we want them to rely on the Holy Spirit and I know that we want them to just be able to walk away. And Jesus was the only man on earth who ever was able to walk away from every temptation without sin. hard. He knew the power of temptation. And when we're at our weakest point, when we're ready to take the bite of that fruit, he is sitting next to God, interceding for us. And when you face temptation, when you have not prayed and turned around while the thought was just a thought in your head, when you have walked up to the door of sin and you have banged on it and sin has opened its door and you have walked through, God is not done with you yet. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that God wants us to come and ask for his grace and for his mercy when we have failed to resist temptation. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
put this into terms that maybe some of the young people will understand, Jesus has your back. Jesus is there for you. Now this is not an open invitation to sin. This is an open invitation to resist temptation every time you can. Every time you remember Philippians 4.8. Every time you remember to think on things that are godly and not on things that are sinful, that is your invitation. But if you fall, God wants to pick you back up. He wants you to go to him. And this is the thing that has separated more Christians from God than anything else. They think, I've sinned. I am no good to God anymore. I have done this thing 50 times. And I've asked forgiveness 50 times. And here I am doing it again. I am weak in this area. I am not remembering God's promise to deliver me from this temptation. God will forgive you the 51st time. Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Seven times was a big deal. And Jesus said, 70 times, seven times. 490 times. That's how many times you should forgive your brother when he does the same thing to you. How can we possibly think that God would be any different? Yeah. I would imagine that every person in this room, every person listening to this video or audio today has that one thing that they just can't get around, that they just can't get over, that comes up over and over and over again, and no matter how much they feel like they try, they just sin. God will forgive you, but God also wants you to work. Remember that self-control part that we talked about earlier? God expects us to do something different. If we sin the same sin and we know exactly when it's going to happen and we know exactly where we're going to be, we need to work on not being there. Best way to do that besides prayer is to have somebody else in your life. Someone who will hold you accountable. Someone when you have that thought, dude, I am getting ready to go into this bar and get drunk. You have that person that you can call. You have that person that will come and pick you up. You have that person that's going to call you at 5 o'clock on Friday and say, come over to my house or let's go do something. Don't go to the bar. That's what we need. We need to be able to hold each other accountable. We need to be able to help each other 
because we are filled with the Holy Spirit too. And sometimes the power of the Holy Spirit works through us. You have to be willing to let somebody else tell you what to do and what not to do. And you have to be willing to do that to somebody else. And we hate that. We hate it. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. I'm strong enough. You don't have to call me on Friday anymore. Uh, don't worry about it. And then 2 o'clock on Friday night, I'm going to find you slumped over. Temptation is about desire. Deciding that we're not going to fight temptation, that's about pride. That's about I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care the consequences. And that's not who we're supposed to be. We have the power to overcome temptation. We have God's grace and God's mercy if we fall. And we have each other. to build us up, to help us to stay away from a place that we know is no good for us, but we want to go anyway. And I want to encourage this congregation, find that person, find that group. We talk about small groups in churches, and small groups seems to be code for let's get together and have coffee, cake, and coffee, gossip for an hour, read a Bible verse for five minutes, and then pray. That's not what a small group is for. A small group, if we are doing small groups the right way, Small groups are meant to hold us accountable. I should be able to walk into your living room, or you should be able to walk into my living room, and I should be able to say, hey, I know you've been struggling with this. How did it go? How's it going? I'm going to call you every day and ask you how it's going. I'm going to bug you. I'm going to leave messages. I'm going to send texts because I love you. Because I don't want to see you. Destroy your relationship with God because of this stupid thing that you want. We don't have a whole lot of small groups here. And I am praying that that will change. I am praying that we will get some families together, that we will get some individuals together, that we will get some men together, some women together, that will be honest with each other that we'll be honest with the struggles that we're having for temptation, that we will be honest in saying, yes, I can't do this alone. I need help. I need you. And you need me. This is how we live the Christian life. We live it together. with one common goal, to see each other live righteous lives that are pleasing to God the Father. That's what we should be about.
pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to restore, to give new birth to our dead souls, to reconnect us to you with the promise of eternal life. Father, we need so much reminding that eternal life doesn't start after we die. Eternal life starts now. Father, forgive us for forgetting that. Open our hearts, open our minds. Give us discernment to know those things that are so hard for us to resist that we end up failing. Help us to be humble enough to ask for help. Help from the Holy Spirit. And help from our fellow believers. Father, give us so great a desire for you that we are willing to do anything to resist temptation, to live the lives that you expect us to live. Father, give us that vision going forward. Give us that ability to see each other the way you see us. Help us to remember that we are stronger together than when we try to do it alone. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And it's all through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to encourage you this week to live in humility. Be willing to admit your weaknesses. Be willing to hear without judgment the weaknesses of other people. Work together through the power of the Holy Spirit to help each other to resist temptation, to run away from sin, to live the lives that God wants us to live. God bless you this week.